Hello and welcome to the Diamond League podcast. What a conclusion we've had to 2018. Back-to-back nights of action in Zurich and Brussels. So many highlights to pick out. Incredible job from Katrina Bargwen to win the triple jump and then the long jump in the space of 24 hours. 100 meter world lead from Christian Coleman, 9.79. Meanwhile, 18-year-old Seliman Borrega from Ethiopia running the fourth fastest men's 5,000 meters in history. And uh, what about Kipruto in Zurich, winning the race and lifting the diamond trophy in the steeplechase after completing much of it with just one shoe? Well, featured in this week's podcast, one athlete who always seems to have her feet on the ground, not when she's vaulting though, that's uh, Katerina Stefanidi. Last year after London I said that my coach is a genius and I really believe that when Mitch watches me pole vault, he doesn't see me pole vault, he sees vectors and numbers. I, I really think this is what goes through his head. And, and I really enjoy that because a lot of times, you know, people will say, oh, you made this mistake, but Mitch will tell me you need to change your first step. It's been quite some year for Kat. It seems as though she's been through everything in one season. Some disappointment, some injury concern, but then coming good at the right time to win the European title and uh, lift the Diamond Trophy as well. She always seems to go about it with great focus, energy and uh, a great laugh as well. And you're going to love hearing from Kat Stefanini. I did a piece with her not so long ago with her husband Mitch uh, about them being a bit of a super couple, athlete and coach and husband and wife as well. And uh, I think at the time they were first introduced to each other, sitting at a table, someone said, Mitch, why don't you marry Kat? Uh, which was a little bit awkward at first, if you can imagine. But uh, eventually they end up becoming great friends, living together. You just can't dispute there's something about their partnership that uh, just seems to work as far as pole vaulting goes. Kat is the Olympic world double European champion and uh, she's just added another diamond league to that collection so uh, she's been speaking to Tom Byrne but when I say she is it a Katerini Katerina or just Kat? In Greece you get baptized after saints names so the the saint I was baptized after was a Katerini with an AI actually not with an E at the beginning but you get baptized that but then you get called Katerina so I went by Katerina my entire life and then I moved to the US and they thought that four syllables are way too many for a name. So I go cut down to Kat. <laughs> and that's how it became Kat. <laughs> right. That makes sense. Yeah. So tell us about the US because you studied over there, you're based over there. When did you make the move? What was behind that decision? Um, I moved in 2008. So we're about at the decade point now that I've been living in the US. Uh, I had a lot of success when I was younger and then I started gaining some weight, there was a lot of pressure, you know, from a small country being one of their biggest talents, there was a lot of pressure from the Federation, a lot of pressure from my parents, both of whom did track and field. So they knew, they knew where to push me, but they were pushing me maybe too much at some point. I actually quit for a little while at like 16 years old. I was a good student too, so it seemed like a good opportunity for me to leave and go get a good education and continue to pole vault but not having super high expectations at that point and really having no idea because I had never been to the US, I did not know what the NCAA was, I didn't know what the level was at all, I didn't know if I'll go there and girls will be jumping 480 or 4 meters but I was getting a full scholarship so I assumed that would be one of the best going in 
so I moved in 2008. My first year didn't go so good. I think that maybe the background I had athletically didn't match the coach that I had at the time. We, he was a little more into heavy lifting, much longer running than I've ever done. I mean, in Greece, I ran maybe 100 meters is the longest we would sprint, and that would be at like 60%. And we would run 300, like multiple 300s. I, I still cannot do this to this day. Um, but my second year, so I did, I did very bad my first year. I jumped almost a foot lower, not almost, a foot lower than my PR. And on the second year, they changed coaches and Toby Stevenson, the Olympic silver medalist from Athens, came in. And I think it just changed my motivation because he was one of my favorite pole vaulters because I grew up in the system, I would call it the very like East European, where you have to do everything perfect, otherwise you cannot pole vault high. And, he seemed like a guy who was just having fun and enjoying pole vault and it didn't matter if he made mistakes, he still jumped six meters and got an Olympic medal. So I think, I think this is part of why he was one of my favorite athletes and suddenly he became our coach. So not only did I gain new motivation and he was a lot more fun. I think he, I was excited to go out and practice again, I think, and I had lost that for a few years, but also his way of training was much closer to what I was used to. Why did you almost quit at 16 or why did you take no, a step I, up? No, I, I did quit. You, I, you I threw your poles in the bin? And... So 2005, I won World Youth Championships. Uh, we started, the, you know, in the fall we started training again and I gained maybe a kilo or two. I, I mean, I wish I could show you pictures right now. Uh, and my coach freaked out that I cannot, I mean, I was 15 at that, at that point. My coach freaked out, I will never be able to pole vault again with that much weight, the one or two kilos that I had gained. We went from dietitian to dietitian, and the more we talked about it, I think the more it became an issue because I started thinking about food more. And I have said before that I came to the limit. I mean, I think it would almost qualify as bulimia uh, in that my parents would leave the house and I would search everything in the kitchen to find food, even things I didn't care about, just to eat something. Uh, so that summer I had qualified in 2006 now for the World Junior Championships in Beijing. I had jumped 410, which was much lower than I had jumped the year before, but I had still qualified. And one day I said, today I need to make a decision whether I'm going to that or taking that summer off. And I decided to take it off and that was June or July or something. And from that time I didn't start training again until the next February after like kind of at the end of the indoor season oh, I I had been running just like longer runs and February or March of the next year now 2007 I said I miss pole vault but I want to do it for fun so I went and talked to my old coach and I said I'm not going to train with you anymore I went and trained with um this girl who was my teammate when I was younger and she had just retired and become a coach and and it didn't have very good actually that year with a few months of training I got second at world youth because the first time I had won it I was 15 so I had another world youth year and and I jumped 425 which was only five centimeters lower than my outdoor PR so it, it turned out very good we kept training together and in 2008 I was third at world juniors so I'm, I was enjoying it more again, I would say. And that's when I left for the US. 
2008. And then tell me a little bit about that college system because you didn't know anything about it. I think no. anyone who doesn't know anything about it doesn't realise what sort of kind of professional setup it really is. Yeah. Do you think that kind of prepared you for what you've done since college? Like that whole. <laughs> I just, think... It's basically a meet every week. Yeah, from yeah. Indoors, kind of middle of, end yeah, of January, sure. right through to the end of the season, isn't it? Yes, it was. Uh, and for me, that I kept going with the summer season too for like European juniors and all that, it was a much longer season as well. But it was very serious, for sure. It was like almost being a professional, but I think I was lucky to do it because I think it was a great stepping stone to being a professional because even after getting third at World Juniors, I was jumping 425, 430. Had I decided you know, to go pro at that age, I wouldn't be making any final of a major championship. So there will be this big gap for many years where I went from being one of the top youth and juniors to not even making the final of the next age group. And I think it was a very good stepping stone. I think it keeps giving you motivation because it's all these girls around the same height. So you're competing against people that are jumping very close to what you're jumping. It was very intense. I remember one of the first, I think maybe it was even the first day of practice. I had, practice was at 2.15 and my, my last class was ending at 2.05. And it was the first day of class too. So the professor went over a little and I was two minutes late for practice and I go yelled at and, and I was like, okay, I mean, I came here to study and do track. I could not leave class, you know, two minutes early. So it was very funny to me that they were taking it so seriously for me being late, not on purpose. Uh, but. But that was my first year and I think the first year just not knowing anything, you know, I was scared of the coaches, I didn't have so many friends, I, I was almost like a different person, you know. How, no, how was your English at that stage as well? It, I think it was okay, but I was so nervous of making mistakes that I wouldn't speak so much. So I think by not speaking I wasn't learning and by not speaking I wasn't making friends. So I was very lucky to have really great teammates that kind of adopted me and I mean, they became really my friend group for the rest of college. But I, I mean, I, I think starting my second year, my English was better. I had a support group there. Uh, I was a little more detached from back home at that point because it was very difficult to leave all my friends and family home. But, you know, once you have a support group at the new place, it, it makes it a lot easier. So it got better. And you were studying psychology? That right at that stage, or was that you? I that later? at Stanford I studied biology, and as it went on, I you you take different concentrations okay. in biology. So somebody can go to like health insurance science, and I went more towards like brain science, and then I did my masters in uh, psychology. Okay, I wanted to ask about this relationship between <laughs> the bar yeah. and yourself <laughs> and your competitors, because obviously you you when you compete in pole vault. You compete against the field of a dozen people, yeah. but actually it's just you against the bar. So what do you, what do you go into competitions thinking? Do you, do you think about the bar? Do you think about who do you need to beat? Well, first let me say that what I studied was very relevant to that. It wasn't sports psychology. It was more cognitive science. So it was more about how we learn and how we remember. It was more memory based. So I wouldn't say what I studied helped me at all. Okay. Um, what did help me was miss really believing in sports psychology 
And at first I was very negative against it because I did so much research myself during grad school that I saw how it worked. I was very good with statistics, so I realized how easy it is to move numbers around and show what you want to show. Uh, so a little bit, I was a little biased against sports psychology, but he, he did uh, help me very much showing me more realistic examples. We, we read a couple of books, some of which I, I didn't like and some of which were much better and I think much more... I mean, you know, sometimes maybe you read the exact same book five years later and it means a little more. So I think maybe it was a little bit like that. When, and that was while we were still teammates with Mitch and when he became my coach and of course being my husband, so me not having a lot of options there, I had, I was made to do visualization training a lot. And as much as I was against it at first, I think it helped a lot later on. Explain that visualization then. Um, I would have to close my eyes and imagine I'm at the meet. Uh, I imagine I pick up the pole and I take the whole jump. And I have pulled this since I was 10 years old. We started visualization in 2016. So I had pole vaulting for 16 years when we started doing that, and I could not visualize myself pole vaulting. It's actually very hard. It's just, I think it's like physical training. I think you need to do it every day. It's very difficult. It's very frustrating at first because you're like, I've taken millions of jumps. How can I not see myself do that? But once I was able to do it, I was... I started being more able to control it. I started, you know, visualizing the bar higher. I started visualizing bigger poles. So I think I came into the meet a little more prepared from mental training. Okay. Yeah. And, and 2016 is really the year where you found really incredible consistency. Yeah. Like, I think you were going over 475. It's like a minimum yeah. every single competition and peaked, obviously, with Great Olympics. Yeah. Well, how do you look back on that year now? Because it, it must seem so blissful. I know. <laughs> well, this is the year, or coming into that year, is when I decided Mitch will coach me. Right. Uh, and we found a lot of obstacles with that decision from my parents, first of all, because I had been very successful with uh, Nick Heisman when I moved to Arizona. I, I think with him I had a big breakthrough from, you know, jump, jumping 440, 450 to jumping 477 is where Nick took me. but. I wasn't as consistent and I did have an injury in 2015 in going into Beijing. So when Mitch and I started training together, there was a lot of reactions, mostly negative reactions. Only my best friend was like, I think you're making the right decision. Because she was your husband by this stage? Yes. We had just got married that May, I think. Okay. Yeah. So we started training together, you know, five months later in yeah. September and we moved. But I think all of that went away from the very first meet in 2016 indoors when I started my season with 470. So, I, you know, I think people realized that Mitch knew what he was doing. I obviously wanted to pull vault high. I wasn't making, you know, an irrational decision. And things went very good from there. I think Mitch made very good decisions with me. And I, I do think that we have an advantage being husband and wife because at practice and at meet, I think sometimes he would say something and see me react in a certain way. He can read me very good, and then he can maybe change his decision based on what he sees me react. Because a lot of, you know, somebody tells you to take the bigger pole, and as an athlete, I will say, okay, but I think he can see in my eyes whether I'm confident about that decision or not, and I think that has helped a lot. And 
And I think 2016 and 2017, of course, have went so well because we built confidence slowly instead of trying to start very high from the beginning and, and maintain there. And I would say this is how we train too. I, I mean, if you come and watch me train at the beginning of the season, I'm jumping 430, but we build back slowly every time. Okay, so is, it, is that something that you kind of maintain this season as well because you peaked again just when yeah. it matters really? Yeah, you struggled a little bit on the yeah. didn't you? This, this season was different. <laughs> right, okay. <laughs> This, this is always very hard. We came into indoors and I was in the best shape of my life. I really thought I would go in and jump five meters, five ten of the first meet. And in fact, in my first meet, uh, I didn't jump so high. I started with 470 again, but I took some huge jumps at 470. And that was when I started hurting. Uh, I started having tendonitis in my erectus femoris, both sides too. So. I continued jumping pretty good. Uh, I think I jumped over 480 at every indoor meet after the first one that I jumped 470, but I was in a lot of pain. It affected me mentally and it started affecting me not only in that, oh, maybe I can't just, I can't run as fast, but it started affecting me in what poles I can be on. You know, the pole then affects what height you can jump. So it, it, we definitely didn't go into indoor world championships with the confidence we went in any other world or any other championship before that. We came out of indoor, we rested, and things didn't get much better. So we had to really seek some better treatment, I would say. So end of March until the beginning of May, we would do about 80% of our training. I think I would say we did all of our training, but at 80%. And then I would go home and I have to do corrective exercises and rehab for another two or three hours. And they, that was probably one of the hardest parts of my career because, I mean, to train for three hours and then go home and have another mm. three hours of, and, and it wasn't easy exercises. It, they looked easy, but it was all about controlling and you know do them correctly and focusing, so it was very hard for me to be focusing on track for that many hours a day. Luckily, the pain started going away. Outdoor season didn't start so great, but again, I, once I stopped hurting, we were able to build back the confidence slowly. So I think had I not had the pain, maybe w the season would have started a little better, but I'm okay with how it has gone so far. <laughs> was it hard to motivate yourself for those extra strengthening exercise you have to do because just yes. even myself if you know anything that physio tells you to do you're kind of committed to it for the first week yes <laughs> by the time it gets to day five you just another again you're there with a resistance i band. know yes but uh, do you think maybe having mitch there to kind of keep an eye on you was, yeah no uh, it definitely helped you know it's what i said again i think there's an advantage with having him at home yeah. i cannot avoid some things <laughs> But I, I would say I was very motivating myself because I saw myself jump, I think, I, I, I can't remember, 482 or 483 indoors, hurting and not being able to run correctly or at the speed we would like to. So I was motivated, I knew technically I was where I was supposed to be, so I knew I could come back. There was definitely a, a big part of the season where we were very frustrated because I wasn't hurting that much anymore. Everything was going pretty good at practice, but it wasn't coming out of the meets. But I don't know, I would say one of my talents is I can be very focused and I, I'm determined. So as much as I hated those two months, 
I, I never thought about skipping it. And after those two months, Mitch did a very good job of uh, putting a lot of those exercises we did as rehab into my warm-up. So I stopped feeling like this extra thing I was doing, but I was still maintaining some of those. And every year we learn something new. And I think this, a lot of these exercises will stay in our routine now. Okay. Yeah. You've just defended your European title yeah. in Berlin. You kind of always leave it a little bit late. You, you allow the bar to go up a little bit more. Yeah. And yet your first vault, after probably being out there for 90 minutes, bang right down the middle. How satisfying is it after the problems that you had earlier in the season to have defended it? Kind of, I would only say without a challenge because the final was, was yeah. kind of a tough contest. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, to, to do it with such professionalism. I, I want, I mean, with, you and I have talked about this before, but I wouldn't say that I came in with the confidence I've come in in the past. And I have had a good month, the month leading up to Berlin. I've jumped 480 every time. So I knew I was consistent again. I knew I was back, but I also knew there were a lot of other girls that were consistent and good and jumping high. Uh, and actually in the last meet, I lost to one of them. I lost to uh, Angelica in, in Monaco. She jumped 485, I jumped 480. I knew she, she's probably, to me, you know, people always say, oh, Sandy and you are big competitors, but to me, Angelica is my biggest rival. She has beaten me very many times before. Uh, so I came in knowing that Angelica would jump 485, 490. She always performs well at championships. Um, so I wasn't as confident, but I knew that I had to go in. I had to jump my best of the year. I knew I was ready to jump my best of the year. And from there, I couldn't control what she, da she did or what anybody else did. And I think this is maybe part of what has made us successful in champions. And I, I do think that compared to other people, I perform better under that kind of pressure. And I like that kind of pressure. But we went in and we said, let's make every bar. We can make up to a certain bar. Of course, Mitch thought I can make up to a higher bar than I did, but it's okay. We were satisfied with what happened in Berlin. And I mean, it, it just, it worked out. But it was definitely a very different feeling going into Berlin and having the pressure of defending a title and having the pressure that, okay, I've had a few good meets in a row, but I haven't had three months of good meets in a row. So there was definitely a different type of stress. So I guess to answer your initial question, it was great satisfaction, but I, I don't even know what the correct word is for, for what happened. I think it was so great to, to see that persisting this this outdoor season and and doing it the same way we've always done it and not trying to change anything we just you know we just didn't jump as good at the beginning but we did it the same way as any other year still worked out and I, I can't remember if I told you but at the beginning of the outdoor season that when I wasn't jumping so good I received a lot of messages I said oh don't worry you know some some years I just know your year last year it was not somebody else's year and it was your year and this year it will be different and I said no I said I'm 28 years old I don't have that many more years and I don't want to allow a year to just not be my year because I was injured two months ago and, and I'm glad this worked out and I hope this is a lesson to, to all those people that, you know, they send me positive messages. It wasn't like, you know, just quit and you're not doing good. But I think they need, and it was young kids, a lot of them young athletes, and I wanted them to see that it didn't matter what I jumped in May, it mattered what I jumped in August. And I'm glad I was able to show that. 
and you are a championship performer, you just mentioned that, you know, you yeah. come back in those pressure situations. Do you think then the new Diamond League's kind of set up with the finals, do you think that suits you? I think so. Uh, I think the first year that I won the Diamond League that was based on points, uh, and I kind of had already won it by, by the time we went to Brussels, I did not have that same motivation I did last year when we went to Brussels and I, st I had to win. Uh, but I think more than any other year, because this year started so bad, it's the first time I'm still very motivated after a championship. Last year, okay, the year, the, in 2016 after Rio, you would literally like meet in my, my agent care and had to drag me out of the room and push me to the track to start warming up. And last year it was a little better, but you know because the the Diamond League final was the way it was. But I still had lost a lot of motivation after winning in London. But this year, because of how the season has gone, I'm I'm still motivated. I only have three meets, so I want to perform well in those three meets. Looking back on everything we talked yes. about, because we're meant to talk about the defining moments. Yeah. <laughs> what, what would you extract, positive or negative, from from the last few years? What what would be your defining moments? I mean, I, I, if you, you're talking about the last few years, I have to say that making the choice of training with Mitch, because I, I can see that the things he, when we were teammates in Phoenix, I can see that the things he, he told me as a teammate made a lot more sense. He had a coach in college that had a very similar background as my coach when I was growing up, so I think I think not only did he focus on things that I was used to focus on as a kid, but also the cues he, he would tell me made a lot of sense. Now last year after London I said that my coach is a genius and I really believe that when Mitch watches me pole vault, he doesn't see me pole vault, he sees vectors and numbers. I, I really think this is what goes through his head. And, and I really enjoy that because a lot of times, you know, people will say, oh, you made this mistake, but Mitch will tell me you need to change your first step. Something that seems so irrelevant, but at the end it changed what every other person was telling me to change with a very different cue. And, and I really think, I mean, he's very prone to like physics and mechanics. He's very good at all these kinds of things. So I think that helps him very much in an event like the pole vault, especially. What would you tell your 16 year old self? The one that just walked away from the sport? Oh, that's a hard one. <laughs> tell her to just have fun, but I really feel like that's what I did once I came back. And I do feel sometimes like I, I wasted many years where I could have been good and have a good career from 20 instead of 24 when I got my first major medal. I don't want to say things happen for a certain reason, but I think the way things came, maybe I'll have a longer career later on at an older age. So. I mean, there's things that I regret, but I, I think those things are what have brought me where I am today. Is there anything in your mind that you want to achieve? I'm not very big into marks, so I don't want to say the five meter mark. And, you know, the world record is always, I think, I think everybody thinks about the world record, even if you're very far away. It, I think. I think it's just something that motivates you to keep going. And for me, I broke a lot of world age group records at a young age. So I just feel like if I could do that at that age, why can I not do it now as a senior? But it's not something that motivates me nearly as much as the Olympics, the world championships. I think to me, that, those mean a lot more. And, and the older I get, I feel like I get 
this new motivation where I don't just pole vault for myself and just for my own success, but I feel like now I'm, I'm able to give back in many ways to sport and, and to Greece as well. I, and I feel like every year there's more about what am I giving back at this point instead of personal success. Of course, I would like to win the Olympics a second time and I would like, I think to me, the Olympic record means more than the world record. You have so many opportunities in a year to break the world record. You have one opportunity every four years to break the Olympic record and I think that's special. But I'm, I'm very happy with how my career has gone this far. I think if something happened and we had to end today, I'm, I'm happy. But I do know that if I retire and haven't jumped higher, I will probably be upset as well. So we're just working every year to get a little better and hope that that will translate in height. The world's Olympic, European and Diamond League champion Katerina Stefanidi speaking to Tom Byrne there and uh, a great end to the season for the Greek pole vaulter and she'll be at the stage where she's trying to defend more titles over the next couple of years so uh, excited to see how that goes. Thank you for listening to this podcast, I hope you enjoyed that interview and uh, there are plenty of episodes that you can go back and catch up on. Find out things like how Tom Walsh, the New Zealand shot putter, is pretty good at building houses. Evan Jager, the American steeplechaser, loves cars. Marie-José Talou, the Ivorian sprinter, used to want to be a footballer. And uh, loads more things like that as well. Of course, you can catch up with uh, all the highlights that you might have missed from the Diamond League this year on our YouTube channel. And there'll be plenty of features during the off-season on there and on social media. So we'll make sure you're getting your athletics fix. So thanks again for listening to this podcast. I've been Alex Seftel. Goodbye.